Good morning, everyone. Everyone here, it's great to see you. Everyone at home, I can't see you, but it's still great to have you here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm the pastor here of the church, and uh, it's my joy to be with you and to be bringing uh, God's word uh, to you again this morning. Uh, we are going to be again in Luke chapter 9. Uh, we've been there for a few weeks. Uh, today, we're looking at verses 37 to 45. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, uh, it's okay. We're going to have the, the verses up on the screen. Um, last week, if you were here with us, you'll remember that we looked at a very, uh, sort of a unique event. Uh, it's called the Transfiguration. It was a moment where Jesus led his disciples up to a mountain, a few of them, and revealed himself in divine glory. That There was brilliant light. There was a cloud that descended. God spoke from heaven. It was really a magnificent uh, event. Uh, and it's the kind of event that uh, human beings have been thinking about ever since it happened. In fact, uh, Raphael, who's one of the Renaissance uh, master painters, he painted uh, this scene, and we're going to put it up on the screen for you. Uh, if you're at home, it might be a little easier to see. If you're here, you kind of got to squint at it, but you can see the, the top half uh, really is this transcendent, glorious light. We're going to zoom in so you can see it a little more clearly. Uh, just take a look there. You can see Jesus represented in glowing white, which is exactly what the Bible says. You have the disciples laid out in front of him. You have Moses and Elijah on either side, and really the, the kind of transcendent glory of the scene is communicated by this master painter. Uh, but the bottom half of the scene is also very interesting. So we're going to focus on that as well because the bottom half uh, is there's a lot of contrast. I mean, the coloring itself, you have this white, bluish, brilliant light above, below. It's all in, in darkness, in shadow. Uh, you might be able to tell that there's uh, people in the painting, they look in distress. There's a number of people pointing up towards Jesus, but many are pointing to this young man there, and he looks in distress. What you need to understand is that Raphael didn't invent the whole bottom half of this painting. What he depicts here is the next scene that we're going to be in today. Right after the transfiguration, we have this, this dark and chaotic scene as Jesus comes down the mountain and comes um, in contact with his father and his son. Uh, they're desperate for Jesus to help because this, this young man has been afflicted uh, by an evil spirit for years. And so what Raphael does is kind of take these two events and put them together, much like Luke does in his gospel. He intentionally wants to show contrast. So the, the transcendent light from above, then by contrast, what's going on below seems dark and sinister. And in fact, that's also what we find in the gospel. Uh, the point, though, is, is not simply to show uh, the brokenness and the pain of our world. Really, the point is to emphasize the mastery and the majesty of Jesus, and that he is the one who came down off of the mountain, out of that, that glorious situation, into the darkness, and came to bring hope and healing into all of humanity. So that's really what our, our theme is going to be today, looking at the darkness below, but also the hope and healing that Jesus brings. So before we go any further, um, I want to pray for us, and then I want to read uh, the text this morning. So join with me. Uh, Lord God, I'm thankful for the Bible. I pray now as I read this text, Lord, as we um, consider this event that happened many years ago, God, that you would open our minds and our hearts to see what you're saying to us today, and Lord, that we would be uh, transformed and changed, and that we would know you more and know ourselves more. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's God's word to us this morning, beginning in verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. 
And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. We're going to pause there. There's a few more verses, but we're going to pause there and consider this first section. Um, For our time this morning, there's really just two points that we're going to look at, and the first is this. We are all afflicted by darkness. We are all, every human being, afflicted by darkness. Now, the darkness of the scene is fairly evident, right? I mean, this, this poor child, now kind of a young man, has been afflicted for years. Uh, if we take the different gospel accounts and kind of patch them together, uh, we can see uh, some additional information. So Luke tells us this, uh, this boy has been harassed by a demon, an evil spirit, for years since he was a child. Uh, when the spirit comes upon him, he convulses and shakes uncontrollably. Uh, Mark tells us that the boy uh, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid when this happens. Matthew tells us that um, many times when this happens, uh, the spirit uh, throws the boy into the fire or into water. And so you can imagine his, his father is always nervous about him being left alone. He probably can't leave him alone at all. Uh, verse 39 of our text, uh, it says there, The spirit seizes him and he cries out and he convulses and foams at the mouth. Uh, it says that the spirit shatters him and will hardly leave him alone. So you, you can just imagine what life has been like for this, this poor son and his father for many, many years. No rest, no mercy, always under the oppressive force of this dark and evil spirit. Now this is a real scene. This is not, um, it's not a parable. Uh, this actually happened. This boy actually existed and his father. And uh, what we're seeing here are the real effects of a demonic presence. Um, we should be clear here that the physical, some people speculate, you know, this sounds like epilepsy, this sounds like some other physical things going on, and that may be. Uh, This text is not saying that every time there's some sort of either mental illness or physical illness that it's because of a demon or an evil spirit. That's not necessarily the case, but it is showing us um, that there is darkness that exists and that it does have a real effect on us as human beings, and very often that manifests itself in some sort of physical ailments. This boy is desperately in need of healing, desperately in need of deliverance, and the truth is that it's not just him that needs these things. That all of us, every human being, is in need of healing and deliverance because we are all afflicted by darkness. Again, just to be clear, this is not a parable. Many times Jesus tells parables to say, look, this is, I want you to understand something about humanity or the kingdom of God. In this case, it is a real event that happened, but, but it does serve as a vivid picture of the darkness that is all around us, of the darkness that, that afflicts humanity on a, on a grand scale or on a, on a small scale. And here what I'm talking about are Satan, demons, and our own sin. Uh, the Bible says very clearly that Satan is a powerful and destructive presence in our world and that he intentionally targets humanity. Uh, look here at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So many times, this, 
this wanting to devour us, destroy us, looks like it does in this scene. There's, there's overt spiritual attack. Uh, this happened a lot in the time of Jesus, probably with good reason. He's the son of God, come down to earth. Of course, Satan's going to marshal an, an army against him. But it still happens today. We see examples of this kind of overt spiritual attack in our cities, on our streets, sometimes in our mental health facilities, sometimes in our homes. For us, uh, in our family, there have been um, seasons where we've been under this kind of spiritual attack, where Don, my wife, has experienced um, all manner of sort of demonic opposition, seeing things, um, feeling things, being pinned on the bed. Our boys have experienced this, waking up with more than just a bad dream, but seeing things in their room, us having to come in and pray for them, them having pain in the middle of the night that has no real medical explanation, yet when we pray, it goes away. Uh, there's probably many of you that have experienced these, these kinds of things. And the reason these kinds of things still happen is because the devil and his demons have not gone away. They continue to plague humanity because they are bitter, evil creatures that want to destroy all that God has made and especially want to keep the children of God, God's people, far from him. So sometimes the attacks are overt. Uh, that's something like we see here in the scene. But much of the time, I'd say probably in our day, most of the time, these kinds of attacks are much more subtle. And that's because the spiritual darkness that afflicts us doesn't just come from outside of us, it actually comes from within us. Um, here's a description of a human being without faith. So here's Paul describing every human being before we come to faith. Listen to how he describes us, all of us. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What Paul's saying here, what he's describing is something that's true of each one of us. We naturally embrace of the darkness, right? We naturally embrace the things which go against God. We're born into sin, which means that our disposition is not one to comply with, with God's laws and to come under his, his leadership. So what this means is that most of the time, the devil does not have to hammer us with seizures and manifest in some physical ailment or something that kind of overtakes our life. Most of the time, there's just subtle temptations, subtle nudges, there's a, there's a uniting with our own disposition towards sin to lead us farther and farther away from God. For the most part, we are willing accomplices in our, in our own destruction. Um, there's a great book, which uh, you've probably heard of. It's kind of a classic Christian book called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, it's written by C.S. Lewis, and it's written from the point of view of a demon. A demon who's been assigned to this young man in London, and the genius of the book is that in reading it, uh, we get uh, sort of a, an insight into the tactics and strategies that the spiritual forces around us are probably using to tempt us and to lead us farther away from God. Um, for the most part, they're not overt. That's the thing you notice as you read the book, that these are sort of everyday things that are happening that are leading us, again, uh, combined with our own sin, uh, into a greater darkness rather than greater light. Uh, I want to read you one example. This is a passage about an older woman who's consumed with greed and gluttony, but she doesn't really realize it. Uh, she's oblivious to the, to the darkness that is going on in her life. So here's how it reads. It says, The woman is in what may be called an all-I-want state of mind. All she wants is a cup of tea properly made, 
or an egg properly boiled or a slice of bread properly toasted, but she never finds any servant or any friend who can do these things properly. The daily disappointment produces daily ill temper. Cooks give notice and friendships are cooled. Now, I know that not many of us have cooks or servants. That part is, we can't really identify with that. But this all I want frame of mind, I think this sounds very, very familiar. Because I know that I, many times, have thought to myself, all I want is just some time to myself. Right? Don't we say things like that? All I want is just a little bit of money left at the end of the month in my bank account. All I want is is a vacation. All I want is a spouse. All I want is a good job. We have, our minds and hearts are filled with things that, look, we think they're so reasonable. How could God deny us these things? These are the things that are going to bring us bring us satisfaction and pleasure and stability. But in fact, this mindset is is greed. And it's one of the devil's schemes because it brings real darkness and affliction in our lives. Because when we think like this, we're never satisfied. We're always on the edge of bitterness and hard-heartedness because the things that, that we think, that we assume should be part of our lives, if they're not, then then we get angry at God. We get frustrated with the people around us who are keeping us from these things which should naturally be ours. We end up disappointed and bitter and hard-hearted. See, the truth is that the devil, I mean, he doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't need to afflict us in some overt way and throw us into the fire. He would prefer it if we destroy ourselves, if he can just nudge us in the right direction and prevent us from from really grabbing on to the satisfaction that Jesus brings. This is, this is the darkness that exists within us, that exists around us. And you'll notice um, here in the text that everyone really in this scene, especially the, the bottom half of that painting, if you imagine, everyone is afflicted in some way. Even the disciples. And they're the ones who are supposed to be following Jesus, right? Faithfully doing the work of God. And yet they too are afflicted because they too are in distress, The young man is in distress, his father, the crowd. But with the disciples, I mean, they failed to do the thing that Jesus had sent them to do. They couldn't help the boy and his father. And you'll notice that Jesus' response, he's not happy. He's very frustrated. Uh, Look back at uh, verse 41. He says, of them, and really everyone, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Which is pretty strong language. He's basically lumping all of his disciples, those who are closest to him, into the, the number of the people of the world who are just twisted and corrupt and don't really believe in him. Do you ever wonder why, like as you read the scene, if you haven't maybe read it in a while, like why couldn't they do it? Especially since uh, they were sent out recently, the 12, and they did this very thing. Jesus said, go out, preach the kingdom, do miracles, do healings, deliverance, and they did that. They cast out demons. They said it was amazing. But here in this moment, they can't do it. The disciples themselves are wondering, why, why, couldn't, why couldn't we do this? In fact, they asked Jesus. Uh, it's not recorded in Luke, but Mark tells us this. Here's Mark 9, 28 and 29. They say, uh, why could we not cast it out? And he, Jesus, said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So they forgot to pray which doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, we, we forget to pray a lot, right? We think of someone asks us to pray for them and we say, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to pray for you and then we forget, feel horrible about it. We, we, we forget 
All the time to pray. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, but in fact, this is a very big deal. Because what it reveals is what's actually going on in their heart and in their mind. And in their heart and their mind, in the moment, they were coming up, saw the spiritual situation. They, they knew that some real spiritual work needed to be done. They thought, we got this. We can do this on our own. It didn't even occur to them that they should stop and they should pray and ask for God to move. They were, they were satisfied in their own ability. And if you really think about it, that is the essence of sin. If you think about Satan... Adam and Eve, those who have fallen from sort of a perfect state into sin, it began with a thought in their mind that was, I don't really need God. I got things figured out on my own. In fact, I can probably do a better job. This sense of self-reliance is a, is a real darkness that exists within all of us because it feels so natural, right? Doesn't it feel natural to think to yourself, man, I... I got things taken care of. I know what I'm doing. I don't need your input or your input. You know, I might take some wisdom from God, but I'm going to filter it through what I think is best. Sin always says, I got this. I got it figured out. But faith, faith is the opposite. Faith says, Lord, I need you. Faith has the humility of heart. It wells up within us to say, if I'm on my own, I, I'm going to be ruined. I need you, Lord. I need you to come and bring me the wisdom that I don't have. I need you to to point the way. I need you to bring the power that I I don't have within myself. See, self-reliance in the disciples here in this scene, it completes the picture of darkness that's being painted in in this scene. It shows us the various layers from outside, from inside, that contributes to the darkness that exists in this world and that we are afflicted by. And the real question for us is do we see it in our own lives today? Because in the scene, the father and the son, they definitely, they saw it. They knew, they saw the effects of it. They were worried, they were concerned. The disciples, they didn't see it at all. There was a, a huge blind spot to the, to the dark, sinful areas of their heart. So the question I think that we should be asking is, is what about us? Are we aware of the darkness that is perhaps welling up within us that we're being impacted by around us? And are we concerned about it? Because the truth is we are all afflicted by darkness and also we are all powerless against it. We see that in our scene. The boy and his father, desperate for help. The disciples, ineffective. Unable to bring any hope into this, this family's life. And yet there is one, there is one who does bring hope and healing, and his name is Jesus. And that's the next point. We're transitioning from the the darkness that exists all around us, we're all afflicted by it, to now, point number two, only Jesus brings true wholeness. And we see this in the moment after, right, Jesus is exasperated with the disciples, frustrated with them, but then he says in verse 41 to the father, bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him, But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. The demon's response here is actually fairly typical. If you look at any scene where Jesus interacts with demons, whenever they get close, Jesus um, speaks to them and they cry out, they beg for mercy because they know what everyone else does not seem to know, that Jesus has real power and authority and that whatever he says is going to happen. So for all the difficulty that this demon has brought this family and and the disciples, it's no difficulty for Jesus. 
Jesus just speaks, he rebukes the unclean spirit, and he is gone, and the boy is healed. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and relationally, we, we don't see all of the effects of it, but we know he's given back to his father, and we also know that everyone is astounded. Look at verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. That word majesty, I love it. Because if you think it back to that painting we saw, right? The top half, it's easy to see the majesty of God. I mean, if we picture Jesus revealed in his divine glory, right? Radiating light and power. I mean, that is a majestic scene. But what we see here is that there's also majesty for Jesus in the darkness below. That in fact, there is just as much, if not more, majesty for Christ as he reveals the fact that he has power over the darkness that afflicts us. This is, a, this is a picture of the gospel. Even though the gospel has not yet fully happened, this is a picture of the, the healing that comes through the gospel, that each one of us, as we really consider the state of our own heart, the state of our own lives, and we're honest about our need for help, the darkness that we love, the evil that we pursue, and the end that it brings, which is death, we come to the point of desperation by the grace of God, and yet here we see there's hope. Here Jesus speaks to the darkness, rebukes it, and there's wholeness, which is what the gospel brings. The interesting thing, though, is that Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't just let everyone um, celebrate this moment of healing. Right after he heals this boy, almost within the next breath, he then begins to speak about the cross. He, he, he doesn't want them simply to rest in this celebration. There's more to come. Uh, let me read you the last two verses, a few verses of our, of our scene, and you can see uh, how he does this. So um, uh, verse 43 uh, says this, but while they were all marveling at everything that he was doing, so you can imagine everyone high-fiving, this is amazing, this is so fantastic, hugging each other, because they didn't have to worry about social distancing, they were so excited. And then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this, about this saying. See, think about what's going on here. Jesus, I mean, this is amazing. Everyone's excited. Everyone's overwhelmed. But Jesus knows that this is only a temporary healing. He knows this boy is still full of sin. He knows this boy, even though he may, by the grace of God, live another 30, 40 years, but he is still a sinner, and so he is still heading towards greater suffering and death because of his sin. This healing that Jesus does is not the ultimate healing. It's, it's a foretaste. It's a picture. Like all of his healings in his ministry, Jesus is trying to wake everyone up to say, look, the kingdom of God is coming. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic. Let me show you what it's going to be like. Let me give you a glimpse, but it's not... It's not the lasting healing that Jesus meant to bring. That's because the lasting healing, it, it only comes through the cross, which is what Jesus refers to. Uh, the Son of Man, he, Jesus, is about to be turned over, delivered into the hands of men. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. And he says this because he knows what the disciples don't yet know, which is that the cross is the only way to bring true healing because at the cross, Darkness is not just rebuked, it is conquered. At the cross, 
all of the afflictions, all of the darkness within us and outside of us that bring turmoil and pain and lead us into a place of dissatisfaction and hopelessness, all of it is answered. Sin is paid for at the cross. Death is defeated. We have every hope forever because Jesus is raised to new life. This is what Jesus is most excited about and this is what he wants them not to lose sight of. He wants them to understand that with the cross, we have the truth of God that we are not meant to exist in darkness. That we are meant to live in the light, in the presence of God. But that can only happen if the darkness within us is erased, is dealt with. That's why Jesus says, let these words sink into your ears. It's like he's saying to disciples, look, don't, don't ignore or forget or downplay the cross. That's where I'm going. I have to go there. I need to, to suffer and die so that you can have this kind of healing and wholeness forever. See, they didn't get it because they were still blinded by their own limitations as human beings, by their own sin. But the truth is, the truth is that the cross is everything. It is the source of our true healing and our, and our wholeness because when we have faith in the crucified Jesus, we have an answer in the darkness. We have an answer to any spiritual force that oppresses us. We can say, Satan, you have no hold on me. Sin, you no longer define me. I am now in Christ. I am now a new creation. I have now been set free from all of the, the trappings of darkness, all of the ploys of the devil. I have an answer because Jesus has conquered all of these things. It's the wholeness and healing that we, we really long for. And it's a beautiful sort of advanced picture, a preview of what will happen once, once Jesus actually is crucified and resurrected. Now, this is a beautiful um, picture, especially once we you know, really kind of think on it and dwell on it, but there is always a challenge when you're reading uh, some of the events of the Bible and seeing how they apply to our lives. Uh, don't get me wrong. The Bible is sufficient for our faith. It has everything we need. The Holy Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to see uh, God more clearly, Jesus more clearly, ourselves more clearly. It is all we need for faith in life. But when we take these truths and we try to imagine them today, uh, it's helpful also to have some stories from the church uh, of, of today, of hearing about how it is that the gospel actually brings this kind of hope and healing and transformation. And that's what I'd like to do, kind of in the last uh, bit of our time together. Uh, one, of the, one of the greatest things about baptisms, for example, is that we get testimonies, right? We get to hear what God has done in someone's life to bring them to faith. Uh, we get to celebrate with them. Well, a few years ago, when I was um, on staff at Westside Church, uh, Westside is one of our planting churches, um, we did a series there, a sermon series called Story, and we looked at a bunch of uh, characters, sort of their stories from the Old Testament, and at the same time, we filmed a number of testimonies uh, from people in the church, uh, people who have been impacted by the gospel, people who were taken through difficult times and yet experienced the wholeness and healing uh, that came through faith. And uh, one of those stories, as I was preparing for this, uh, reading through this text, preparing for this sermon, just jumped back into my mind. And that was of a woman named Feza. Uh, Feza, I got to know a little bit at Westside. Uh, she was born a uh, Muslim, but came to faith in Christ. Uh, Feza's story came to my mind, I think, because as you'll see, there's a lot of darkness that was part of Feza's life. A lot of uh, oppression, a lot of abuse. And yet, when she met Jesus, uh, everything changed. 
So I reached out to Feza and I asked if we could uh, share her story again. She said, absolutely. She said, it's, it's her joy to, to tell the story of how God brought healing into her life. So we're going to spend a few minutes uh, watching her story. Uh, one thing before we do, and that is that um, it, it's, there's some heavy parts to her story. And so for those of you uh, who are parents watching with children, you should just be aware that there are some references to sexual abuse and violence in her story. So I leave it up to you if you want to pause the tape, if you're at home or not. Uh, but uh, we are going we to watch and we are going to behold the healing uh, that Jesus brings. My name is Feza. I was born a Muslim in Turkey. Uh, first I met with Jesus. Uh, the elder woman was talking about the Quran and I heard his name, the Jesus. But uh, Jesus was the prophet Jesus in Islam. And then he very touched my heart and then I chose him like uh, my boyfriend. And uh, the first, when I was six years older, I sexually abused uh, with 16 years the girl. It really pushed me to involve the man. But the men were worse than women. They used all my heart, all my feeling, my money, my body. Nobody loved me. I was loving them, but I never received any love. And I was looking for love. Where is the love in the world? I couldn't find it. I married an uh, Islamic, very radical Islamic, from Algerian guy, and Islamic rules. And he was completely like abusing me, abusing me verbal, the sexual, physical. Uh, I was feeling I'm in just darkness, just darkness. Uh, what he has done to me, I became mentally sick. I start to dig all the garbage, throwing the garbage, digging the, all the garbage, and obsessively checking the, all the closet. One day I find myself sitting next to the toilet and digging all dirty toilet paper baskets, putting my face, smelling them, and flowing, and some kind of laughing and crying, and then I just say to myself, what happened to Faza? What happened to you? And I went to the living room and then I took the Quran. I just ripped it up. And I decided to kill my husband because I couldn't get out this kind of married. This marriage was just violent sex and Allah. And I poisoned the food. I put kitchen and he comes and he sex with me, and I say to him, I'm going to kill you tonight. I'm going to kill you and kill myself. There's a foot, and he scared, and he loved me. After a few days, my boss sent me to guy, and he saw me, and then he said, what happened to your face all? You look terrible. I told all story and I show him all marks on my body what my husband has done and he cried and he said to me I will give you the books the Bible only Jesus can wipe your tears only Jesus can save your life only Jesus can heal you and I believe that 
I took Bible came to home and I opened the first page was came the Isaiah 43. He says, do not fear, do not fear, I redeem it. I call you by your name, you are mine. The you are mine is thousand times echoed in my mind. And I have been waiting all my life to someone say to me, you are mine, Feza. Nobody said to me. And I wanted all my life to say someone, I am belong you. No one was. And I just asked who you are. Who you are and saying to me, you are my Feza. Who you are? And I just noticed he was God. God said to me, you are my Feza. Now God used me to everywhere. Talking about the Jesus, who is the Jesus, especially all the Muslims. I spend all my time for the Muslims to saying them there is no Allah. The Muhammad is the fake prophet. There is no other way. There is only one way. This is Jesus. There is only one door, Jesus. There is only one true. He's Jesus. There is no Allah. His name is Yahweh. And Yahweh is so pure and so lovely. God is, God is so love and He loves us. And I love Him. And I'm just crying for all the lost people. Because they, ha they I don't know when they are going to meet with God. But I'm going to keep working on Muslims. Because God made me a fisherman. I'm the fisherman for Muslims. So thank you so much, God, for that. Thank you so much you using me. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I just, I love you. No fear anymore in my life. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you so much also. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to use me being here and telling my story. So, really powerful, powerful story. I'm so thankful that Feza allowed us to uh, hear her story and... Um, I'm not sure about you, but just, just the joy that she has in her face and the contrast between her life filled with darkness and the light that Jesus brings and the reality, the truth, that the love of God is one of affection, one of intimacy, one of a personal knowing. My prayer is that all of us would have that same understanding of who Jesus is. My prayer is that each one of us would would know him as, as Savior and Lord, that, that when he speaks our name, we would know that he knows us intimately, that he died for us. Look, I don't know for everyone here, for everyone at home, if you know, we've experienced darkness like Feza has. I, I hope that that's not true. But we all have experienced some form of darkness. We all need healing. We all need hope in the midst of the hardness of our own hearts, and the things that are being done to us have been done to us. 
The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer because it, it says clearly you are loved, you are known, and there is hope for you in the future. That verse she said from Isaiah, God says, I will redeem it, meaning I will make those things which have brought heartache into your life, I will bring good through them. And he can do that because of his power as Lord. So I'm going to pray for us. Pray that God would open our own minds and hearts to, to know this, this light of Christ, the healing that God brings. And I would encourage you, if you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, we, we want that to happen for you today. We would, we would ask, we would pray that you would consider the claims of Jesus, that we are all sinners, that we need healing, we need forgiveness but also that if you've been walking with Jesus and you find yourself far away from him, that you can always go back, that he is always forgiving, always loving. I would also say if, if you're someone who has experienced this kind of abuse, maybe you are experiencing dark spiritual forces, some form of oppression, we want to help with that. The function of the church is to preach the gospel so that we might know the hope, but also to come around each other when we are in difficult times. I'd invite you to, to contact me through the website or afterwards, we're gonna have a time of prayer. We would love to connect with you and help you. Let me pray for us. I'm gonna pray for us, I'm gonna pray for Feza. As I reached out to her, she shared that she uh, has developed a heart condition and uh, I just wanna pray for her health as well. So join with me if you would. Lord God, we are thankful that you are the God of glory, you are majestic, up on the mountain and in the darkness below the darkness where we live, Lord. I'm so thankful for Feza, for your work in her life and for her willingness to share her story, Lord, a difficult story, one filled with all manner of hopelessness and yet ultimately filled with the hope of, of Christ. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that each one of us would have that hope. I pray that we would recognize that though there is darkness around us, that is not where you want us to dwell. Your intention, your commitment is that we would be, we would be stepped able to step into the light through your power and your grace. I pray for each one watching. I pray for everyone here. Lord, that you would help us to understand ourselves better, that we would see that we need you. We can't be self-reliant. But also, Lord, that we would see that even though there are enemies against us, Lord, you are more powerful. Jesus, you not only rebuke the darkness in our life, you've conquered it. And so I pray for each one here, if we are experiencing any type of affliction, oppression, that we would call on the name of Jesus, that we would be healed, that we would be protected, and that we would reach out, and that as a church, we'd come around those who need protection, need help, need healing, and Jesus, that you'd be honored and glorified. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.